Thank you for downloading this Desenia podcast, recorded live from Maison et Objet in January 2024. For more podcasts, visit DesenioJournal.com. Hello and welcome to Conversations in Tech Eden, How Can Design Connect to Nature, a podcast series from Desenia in collaboration with Maison and Objet. I'm your host, Ollie Stratford, Editor-in-Chief of Desenia, and I'm delighted to say that today we are joined by Maison and Objet's Designer of the Year for 2024, Mathieu Léonard. Uh, welcome, Mathieu. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, Part of the role of being designer of the year is that you design an installation for the fair. What you've done is called autonomy, uh, like autonomy, but out. Uh, just if anyone can't pick that up from my accent. Yeah. Uh, but Mathieu, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what that installation is. The installation autonomy firstly start with the invitation of Maison et Objet that usually for when you are designer of the year, you are invited to make a kind of exhibition of your work mm. um, but actually I didn't want it to make a kind of retrospective exhibition it would be a bit useless and a bit boring in my opinion so maybe interesting for an audience but for you probably not so interesting right yes and, and we do have an exhibition room in our factory very next to Paris we do have um, a showroom in New York Manhattan where we can showcase the pieces so for me the question here was to use the carte blanche invitation but to create something new so um, Coming from that, I had very short time frame to develop a project, but um, I wanted to maybe to answer a question I, I was asking to myself, probably due to the pandemic period, probably due to the state of the world, I do have, and I guess all of us have, sometimes the question in mind that... <laughs> Do we live the right life? Maybe we should invent another way, a new way of living. Let's take time to think about another way. So autonomy, it's a kind of project to invent an autonomous life um, far away from the dense city, far away from the noise. And that's quite an interesting thing, because I think a lot of designers, when they get these commissions, like you, will say, I don't really want to do a retrospective. And they'll make what I think is a perfectly reasonable leap and say, OK, well, the thing that would be nicest at this trade fair is just somewhere comfortable for guests to sit. And I have great sympathy with that position. I think it's a good thing and people have done some amazing installations. It's interesting, however, that you decided you wanted this to be more of I was going to say a statement, but an, in, an investigation. You yep. wanted it to target a particular topic. Was that something the fair was straight away on board with? Or was that something you have to persuade people this is a good thing to do? You know, when you are designer of the year, you do what you want to do. <laughs> Otherwise, what does it mean to be designer of the year? Next year, I will, they will decide. But this year, if I'm designer of the year... Let me do what I want to do. You invite me, so um, thank you for that. I'm super happy, um, but let me doing this. And, uh, and and frankly, I do remember the very first meeting we get with Maison et Objet. They called me before to say, Mathieu, we, we select you as designer of the year and we would like to get a meeting just to get what you want to do during for the installation slash exhibition. 
And the very first meeting, there were about 10, 12 people from Maison et Objet in my, in my factory. And, um, and I start the presentation by saying that, okay, I would like to work on the topic of survivalism. Mm. And I, I, Controversial topic. Has, yes. Has, and, uh, has some interesting... And you may, you may imagine the, the, the face they did. Uh, survivalism? You mean bunker? You mean redneck? Um, with uh, with uh, rifles? Yeah. Uh, with stock of food in the basement? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so it was, it was on purpose that I start by this way. But for me, it was the idea of, okay, listen to the world all of us listen to the world and uh, and what is what the world is saying now is sending some type of fears type of some people in many different spots many different locations worldwide who start to thinking about do we live the right life we want to live and um, are we prepared if something would happen uh, if something would turn bad it might be in terms of ecological topic it might be in terms of politic topic in terms of geopolitics topic so i'm not a survivalist um maybe not yet i don't know uh i'm not but my job is to listen carefully those whispers um that emerging worldwide and to see if to respect that and to try to 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 be part of this my my, my work my job is not create symphony, not writing books. It's to propose things, installation, sometimes architecture, um, to support some ideas. I'm going to ask you to explain the installation itself in a minute, but I, th I think this follows on from what you're saying. A fairly dominant part of the idea behind autonomy, and you say it very early on in the text that accompanies it, is that this is looking at the way in which humanity interacts with nature, the traditional idea of it, we've maybe gotten wrong. And I think that traditional idea you set out is one that nature is something that's there to be dominated, right? It's something that's there for us to bend it to our will, to change, to exploit, to take from what we want. And the whole point of this installation is you saying, no, 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 there's, there's a mistake there. We need to reframe that relationship. What are you proposing we reframe that to? Yes, the modernist uh, approach in terms of um, history and architectural history was to to consider the human being up to the nature and um, and to consider this relationship in, in a type of permanent fight um, and to and to address the nature in a kind of uh, yes uh, aggressive violent way. Um, here, the idea is to to check if we could reinvent the relationship between the nature super locally um, and the way to to create this interaction because in a way you need of course nature you need the wind to make your wind turbine on the roof of the installation provide you some energy you need uh, the rain to make your uh, your your food growing on top of the roof um, you need rain as well to provide you some water that maybe after that's going to be clean and filtered to be used in in your daily life so the question is to accept that i need nature in terms of super functional approach but more than that to to be conscious that you need also nature to to be in the right balance actually inside the installation the installation is based from 
outside and now inside. There is two two sides in a way. Um, and inside, into the small shelter, I, I brought um, a vision of what could be the fire, of what could be the vision of the sea, um, what could be the vision of a flower. So I, I play with this idea of nature on different aspects. That might be in terms of aesthetic, in terms of functional, in terms of sometimes behavior of the nature toward you. This idea of duality and these differences, I think, is quite clear in the installation. I mean, you described it there, this interior and exterior play. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, the exterior is a very bold monochrome yellow. Everything is in yellow. And then when you go inside, it's much calmer, much paler white wood tones. But I think there are some other dualisms going on as well. The outside, you have this big canopy which looks very modern it's almost on pilotis like le corbusier yep. but then underneath the structure is more rustic and cabin like that seems to have been important to you this kind of blurring together of what traditionally we would see as the modern and what we would see as the more natural talk to me about that yes it, it's it's an interesting point um and frankly, I never thought in that way. You know, sometimes you work on a project, you let your, I do not love the word inspiration, but you let your brain provide you some stuff. And sometimes you pick some of them and you said, it makes sense. I don't know why, but it makes sense to, to use this approach, to use this aesthetic, to use these techniques. And sometimes you need to get the project complete, sometimes after a day, just like right now, and to see that... Yes, maybe I, I blurred the modernist architecture, as you said, and you're fully right, because it looks like a kind of Le Corbusier, Niemeyer, a kind of structure, like a, like a, a cantilever roof, yes, with, with, a, with pillar, super simple, and, and mix with vernacular architecture because um but because inside there is a kind of a, um what we call in french tavillon it's kind of a wood tiles um used mainly or, or a lot of in switzerland for example and those wood tiles it's super natural super local super easy to produce and su one of the best insulation we could get and um and by using this kind of wood tiles you can create a lot of shape. So if we could take only the, the question of the architecture itself, that is super small huh, in terms of scale, it's, it's probably the, the perfect mix between vernacular that might be by anyone without any architectural scale, without any structural scale, mixed with a kind of cultural background in terms of modernist architecture. I think it would be remiss of me not to ask about the colour choice of yellow. And it's an interesting one because it, it's the first thing you see when you go near this installation. Yeah. It's so bright. It's so in your face. I think it looks fabulous, by the way. I guess the colour we're more used to seeing in association with ideas of ecology and nature is green, right? And I think there are all sorts of problems with that. You know as well as me a lot of the stuff that goes on around greenwashing and yep. how hollow some of that engagement was. So it's very interesting that you picked this almost like acid yellow. What was the thinking behind that? The question of the yellow firstly arrived with the question of the monochrome. Um, I, um, you know, we are in the middle of Maison et Objet. There is hundreds, maybe thousand booths. Inside every single booth, hundreds of pieces. It means hundreds of finishes, colors, and blah, blah, blah. So I wanted this space to be a kind of 
a bit quite easy for your mind to accept because before seeing the installation, probably you're going to move into the into the into the alley uh, of of the of the fair. So the monochrome was one of the first choice, and from and from that the idea was to okay, okay, but what color? And for the color, the idea of the yellow that is super super strong, as you said, um, I choose the yellow for because for me yellow it's probably the perfect balance between a kind of energy, a kind of solar, a kind of radiant color. So in terms of chemistry, um, if, if this color would be a medicine, it could be a medicine to give you in a good state because it provides you a kind of a visual energy um, instantly. And, and the second aspect is the yellow always brings in it a kind of toxicity, artificial, something that is you know, in the sci-fi movie, when the sky becomes to turn yellow, it means something turned bad. <laughs> it's not Tur a good sign. No, it's not a good sign. <laughs> not a good sign. So in this idea of survivalism, whatever what could happen and what decide you to move from where you're living, um, it was important for me not to arrive with something that was just a feel-good movie, um, but bringing the idea of a kind of sci-fi thing, but a kind of therapeutic color that... So when you arrive and people said, wow, it's just like a shoot, huh? it's just like a shoot of, of, uh, of yellow. It's, it's quite rare to get such a big surface of, of yellow. So, so maybe you will and I will have uh, our time to go into the sleep tonight. Maybe we receive too much energy by the yellow itself. <laughs> you will let me know. Well, one thing I wanted to ask about you, the, the theme of this podcast series is looking at the relationship between nature and technology and how design can act as an interface between that. And I think you've done some really interesting work in this area because you're a designer who is clearly very inspired by nature. And I think in different ways, it, it appears as an aesthetic influence in mm -hmm. a lot of your work. Literally, some of the work also contains nature. It is specifically about nature. Yes. At the same time, you're also someone who's done an awful lot of technology and speaking with researchers and weaving academic research into your work. So I'm curious, how, as it stands, do you feel design handles that interface between technology and nature? Because I think a lot of people are sceptical about that and how well those two things can, can merge. So maybe to kick us off, you could tell us a little bit about your thinking around this issue. You know, for the autonomy project, even beyond this, I wanted to to show this relationship in, in a different way. There is some aspect in the in the autonomy project. There is no technology. Um, the way to get some fruit and vegetable on the roof, there is no technology behind. It's just a floating garden, actually. But yeah. it's super super easy and, and almost common, you know. But there is very next to the roof um, a flying drone. And this flying drone includes some helium to make it floating um, by consuming less energy because in this type of context, you need to absolutely reduce your energy consumption. And, and the drone will film all the surrounding for your own safety, but maybe for your own way to discover the nature. Maybe I was thinking that maybe if I would live here, I would wake up in the morning and then I see in my device, oh, that's so beautiful. Animals, white animals who pass by uh, very early in the morning. 
So to 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 make different aspects from the most very natural one in the common sense and the most technological one, but that will help you to to um, to enjoy the nature in a different way. Um, on the terrace of the autonomy project, there is a project I, I designed few years ago called Andrea that is a living this is the filter absolutely the, plant the, the, filter. the, the air filter air purifier that include real nature but include into an artificial object so in this um, autonomy project I play with this idea of interaction sometimes the nature is include sometimes the, there is no nature into the device but the device helps you to enjoy the nature in a different way um, sometimes the nature is just like a souvenir of what nature maybe could be. Um, in the installation inside, we, we, we install a very recent project that is a kind of huge ceramic flower that have been made and designed thanks to 3D scan of a real flower. So I play with this idea in, in many different um, aspects. I think we should talk a little bit more about Andrea because I, I think it's one of the projects people may be most familiar with in terms of your work. And it feels like something of a statement of the studio. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, it it's fascinating. It's, as you said, it's an air purifier, which you can put a plant inside, and mm -hmm. then it's the plant and its biological processes that actually go about purifying the air. Yes. And this was a really serious project. This was informed by research from NASA, am I right yes. in thinking, worked yes. with that? I'd love to hear more about that and how you worked on its creation, because it, it does seem to capture something of your ethos quite well, I think, as a, as a studio. Andrea started by an invitation from a scientist, um, a scientist entrepreneur um, who opened a, a new cultural space in Paris and invited me to create something that was not supposed to become a product, that would be just a research for a designer. And um, and it was the very beginning. It was in in, in two two thousand seven, and um, it was the beginning in terms of scientists would start to talk about indoor pollution. Nobody at this stage was knowing what indoor pollution is. Indoor pollution actually means that the air you breathe indoor is definitely more toxic and dangerous than the air you are breathing outdoor. Even if you are living next to a boulevard, you know, full of traffic jam and blah, blah, blah. Because the indoor pollution, it's based with um, kind of gas. And this gas coming from products, painting, mm. uh, varnish. The materials you're yes, surrounded Yes, foams, uh, sometimes, yes. Uh, fire retarder, um, many different things. So... The, idea, the, the project started by this way, and I start to work on the idea that maybe some plants are able to do that. I heard uh, before that, but I was thinking, okay, if a plant is able to do a part of the job, probably by improving by kind of system, it might be some fans, some air circulation around the plant, probably we could increase the efficiency of the plant. And uh, we have made a lot of tests, a lot of research, a lot of prototypes, and uh, and we are discovered by a quite simple way. We have been able to uh, to make ten times any plants um, more efficient than it was supposed to be if it would be just displayed in a, in a flower pot. It started by this way, and uh, and we we made a very small exhibition uh, with those research, and um, and I start in a prototype step, but. 
to design this object. Actually, I wanted this object not to be just like a, a classical home appliance, a wide cubicle uh, on the corner of a room, but design it just to be very next to your couch, very next to your desk, um, very close to you and close to your breathing system, actually. And the very first visitors who saw it said, okay, I understand, uh, I love it, I want it, where can I buy it? And I do remember I was, it, no, it's not a product, it's, it's a prototype. There is a, it's, it's a research and a, so I, I designed it just to imagine it in real life, but it's not a product, it's not for sale actually. I said, but what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? But, and I was saying, but, but do you familiar with uh, indoor pollution? Not so well, but I understand what you're saying. I believe you and, and, and I want to live with these things. So, and at the end, the, the, the prototypes turn to become a product. But the, the main interest of this story, it's the, the um, impulsion came from the clients, came from the visitors. It means that designer can propose and, um, and we need the visitors, we need the viewers, uh, we need the potential users to say, hey, 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 I'm ready. So do your work, put it on the market and, uh, and we're going to buy it. One of the reasons it interests me as a project is it seems to express quite a lot of the attitude you're also getting at through autonomy. So this is a piece where you're not kind of crushing nature or designing through it, it's very much designing around it. It's looking at, well, what do these systems already do? How could we act? And, and I think if someone goes and sees that piece, sees Andrea, it does look as if the plant is being cared for in it. You know, yes. it, it, it looks like the plant is sort of the central thing and any effect from it is almost secondary. I was That's... thinking that the plants would become a kind of brain. You know, the shape of Andrea, it's more or less just like a head. And I was designing... It's to make the, the plant just like the art, but mainly the brain of the system. I think that's a successful example of this intersection between nature and technology. I wonder if you have sympathy with people who are quite sceptical of that as a field, though. I, I think particularly when something arrives in the form of a product, say, in a glossy product, people kind of have that attitude of, look, the last thing nature needs is more technology, right? How do you feel about that? Because I, I think that cynicism... I can understand it, and I think it's quite a difficult thing to overcome. Where where do you land on that? Um, I was sceptical. I was. Um, when, when we made the very first test by improving the efficiency of the plant, um, and when I had to turn it into product, I was sceptical. But at the end, it was necessary to turn what would be an experiment in a laboratory into an object that provides a solution. The question is, and it was a main problem for Andrea, to be, to be, to be sell and to be explained, it's you are not able to see the problem. You are not able to feel the problem. It means that indoor pollution is odorless. You cannot see any dust. It doesn't smell anything. So you try to, to sell a product that would solve a solution in which you ne people never know there is a problem. 
So you, you, you cannot see the problem. You cannot see if the solution is efficient because if you are not able to feel the indoor pollution, you are not able to feel that you, you clear, you, your air have been cleaned up. So it was super, super complex. And, 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 the, and the design for that give a form to invisibility. Give 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 a shape. Turn turn what you are telling. Turn the story into an iconic element that you can see, that you can believe. Uh, we we are a, a spacey that needs to get stuff. Um, even for in, in religions, you need to get objects that support what you believe in. They carry the meaning and the symbolism for it. I think this is a really interesting aspect of your practice, actually, what you were describing there, because there are lots of designers out there who do research and work with academics. There are lots of designers who produce additioned work and work with galleries. You do both, and I think that is quite unusual. I don't know of too many people who have kind of those partnerships on both sides. How do you see those different strands of the work coming together? Does it feel very natural to you or do you see them as quite separate things that you have to keep in a balance? It's quite natural. Um, you need, I need to get functional things and at the same time to get in touch with transcendental things. Um, one day I'm super responsible and the day after I'm fully stupid. We are human beings are this absolutely inconsistent, spacey, unstable. Um, so in my work, my only focus, my main focus is trying to understand what a human being is. It's needs, it's, um, it's belief, it's mind, it's perception, and, uh, and sometimes those elements are mislead other ones. So... Um, my work is to understand that and to address um, the object pieces installation that makes sense toward that. So for me, there is no schizophrenia uh, from one day making a kind of art piece made out marble, the day after including technology, um, and the day after after uh, designing a collection of um, H pyramids that's. There's no clear function. It's not even art pieces, but something that talk about our, our needs to get a, an overview of the world. So if, if you consider the, the center point is a human being, everything, in my opinion, makes sense all around. I think that's interesting, this idea of the human as the sort of locus for everything and making connections outwards because yep. the design profession, lots of definitions are given. I think lots don't really work, but quite a common one you hear is, well, it's doing lots of things as a discipline, but one thing is it's an interface. It brings together different areas of expertise. And I think that connects with this idea of nature and technology. How could design help them sit better together? My question for you is, within design, we speak a lot about collaboration and working between disciplines, but often those collaborations are quite close, you know? It's essentially a designer in one field working with a designer mm -hmm. in another. How successful do you think designers are at getting outside of that bubble and maybe going towards technologists, working with researchers in completely different fields, working with ecologists? I know this is something that you've prioritised. On the whole, how well is the discipline doing with that at the moment? You know, every single scientist... I called or emailed, answer me quite easily, quite 
fast. Uh, they, they call me back in the hour. Um, the rest of the world has understood that design can help and provide and solve and propose many things. So it's a weird thing to see that designers sometimes um, restricted their own field by themselves. The rest of the world is ready. Uh, I've received some commission from head of hospitals far away from the design. You may imagine that the head of hospitals maybe is not listening design your podcast. Uh, it's not his, uh, his, his uh, do not spend his time with. Um, I received commission from priest. Far... So the rest of the world have understood that design can propose many uh, and solve many things. So every single person you need to call, any, any scientist is open. To help you is open to to um, to receive you to um, to support you. The question is, it's a long process. It's tough. You need first to learn a bit the language of the specialist you're gonna meet. You you need to earn his own language and the basics of the discipline. Um, so it's a long process, definitely more complex than if you are just interacting with another designer and you are speaking the same language. But I've always received a very good welcoming and, and, uh, and super efficient because they want, to, to, um, they want to, to be part of a project that would be um, far away from the laboratory, far away from the hospital, but maybe touch people um, in, a, in a certain way, in a new way. Do you think with projects like that, what has to be provided is a solution? Because obviously, Andrea was a solution, but I was interested what you said. Part of it was just communicating that this was a problem. And that seems something that does draw disciplines to design. You know, OK, solution, great if there is one. But as much as anything, it's about making people understand this and see that there's an issue there. And that interested me because with autonomy... You know, it's it's an installation in a fair. It's a it's a fascinating thing. You're not saying this is a solution, everyone. We need to start living in autonomy. You're, yep. you're raising some questions yes, around absolutely. it. Absolutely. What do you see yourself as trying to do? Do you feel you need to reach a certain stage in the responses you give to issues, or is it okay for them to remain quite open ended? I do not want with autonomy, for example. I do not want to arrive with a solution. It's not a question of the solution. It's, it's the question of asking people, are you ready? Are you ready to, are you ready to live that way? Um, are, are you ready to, uh, to think this interaction in a different way? And, it's, and usually designer wants to arrive just like a saver. You know, you got an issue, I get the solution. You're the patient and the doctor. Yeah, very modernist. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, for the ego trip, is wow, super powerful. Um, no, this is not the idea. And, uh, and you know, the, the, the yellow helped in that way. The, the fact that I, I was covered, the entire installation by yellow, was to avoid people thinking that Mathieu arrived with a solution for a new way for housing or whatever. No, here you can easily imagine it's it's not have been done to be exactly installed in the nature that way. No, it's clear. It's just like a kind of cartoon in a way. Um, it accepts the idea that it's not pure reality, and you play with this. So um, it's 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 also a way for me to to make a step toward people. I said, why not? What do you think? 
are you ready? But I need people to make a step toward me to say, yes, why not? It's, uh, um, it's interesting. Explain me more. So it's, um, the, a relationship needs two entities to exist. So um, I do not want to arrive with, this is a solution, but, um, but, Let's meet. Let's discuss. What do you think? Um, do you think I turn to be paranoiac um, or not? Um, so, yes, this is. And so far, it's the, the feedback are very, very good. And there's something powerful about encapsulating those discussions and those ideas within an object, within a space, making it real. OK, you're not putting it forward as an exact solution, but... Those kinds of physical things are very good at embodying meaning. They're very good at making a discussion feel alive. And Absolutely, that seems an important part of your yes, work. Yes, if if I would, if I would discuss about this idea of autonomy, um, but without anything to show, anything to test, anything to experiment. Okay, it could be an interesting conversation, but. Here you you show something that might be realistic. It's not fully realistic, but it might be realistic. You can see the wind turbine on the roof. You can see the floating drones. You can see the air purifier. You can see this kind of artificial pound in the middle with fishes, real fishes inside. Um, it it force you or it invites you to be part of it. What do you think? Are you ready? Would you live in that way? Uh, would you change something? Would you add something? Would you take off something? Let's open the discussion, but my words, it's not words. My words are object, are installation, are things. We can't have this discussion about changing ways of living and technology and ecology without discussing sustainability. It's become such a bigger topic in design. Whether it's taken seriously, I think, is debatable, but it's certainly much more present in the conversation than it was in the past. Have you noticed a big shift in the way in which it's being treated with design? Because you've been in practice for a while, you've dealt with these topics for quite a long period. Have you noticed changes in how they're perceived more widely? Yes and no. The designers, probably architects, many creative field have okay I've included this idea this approach since a long time since decades actually um, even when I was just going out from school okay the idea was absolutely clear in the mind of designers um, or architects the question is is the consumer the question is the clients I will explain when we are designing things if we are doing well we have included the, the, the question of assembly, disassembly, reducing the weight, reducing the number of pieces, all the stuff, um, the, the sourcing of the materials, everything. Everything is absolutely ready in the mind of creators from a long time. But I'm going to tell you a story. Recently, I had a meeting with a big brand of home appliance. And, um, and they told me about a story they had a few years before. They made a coffee machine, and this coffee machine was not an espresso, but a normal coffee machine. You know, it's actually made out light plastic and uh, and and Pyrex uh, tank, just with your coffee filter. You know, um, so it's a super light object, super light product, and um, and the designer I do do not remember who 
have been able to make it more, more light by reducing the weight, by optimizing the structure. It did a good job, actually. And they put the product into the shelves, in the shops, and it was a super, super bad sale. And why? Because consumer, like you, like me, like many others, people take the coffee machine in hands and say, no, it's too light. It's not good quality because it's too light. So the designer did the right job to, to reduce the weight because when you reduce your weight, you reduce the consumption of kerosene for the, for the Boeings or whatever. And, um, but in the mind of the consumer, in the cultural background of consumer, too much light means bad quality. It was not. It wasn't. And the brand decided to add metal particles inside the coffee machine just to bring artificial weight um, to the coffee machine. And it turns to become a super good sale. So the same coffee machine was super sustainable. And, um, but nobody wanted to buy it. And it's turned to be a disaster. A disaster because they add many stuff inside, probably impossible to recycle. And it turned to be a good sale. It was not the fault of the designer. It was probably the fault of the marketing brand we decided to go that way. But the main responsibility was in the mind of the consumer, in the mind of the clients, who keep in mind this stupid cultural background that lightness means bad quality. How much impact do you think designers can have? Because you talked there about the kind of cultural baggage people have, the preconceptions. There yep. are also economic issues, which often push companies into making bad decisions yep. you know there's a lot of broader things at play here to what extent as a designer do you feel empowered to sort of drive some change in this area we do our best me personally um the direction i choose is to produce less and less and less um to to control every single aspect of the production to control every single aspect of the materials i'm going to use um this is a choice i made a few years ago it's actually do not work anymore for other brands, editors or whatever, where I wouldn't be able to make my own decision. The story of the coffee machine, if I would design the coffee machine, I would be the same. Now, in my business model, I, I will design the coffee machine, I will produce the coffee machine, I will sell the coffee machine, and I will tell the story of the coffee machine. And if you control all those aspects and you do not let anyone um, disturbing and turning to the very bad way what you have created, you always get very, very bad news, actually. If you control everything, I will be able to tell the story that, look, this is a lighter coffee machine that have been created. And thanks to that, your carbon footprint will be reduced and blah, 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 blah. So you need to control everything. So my, my contribution um, in that way, it's for me to produce less, um, to control every aspect and to be sure that nobody will, will turn what I wanted to do in, in the bad way. Unfortunately, that brings us to the end of our time today. But Mathieu, thank you for joining us on Conversations. Thank you very much.
You've been listening to a Desenio podcast. For more podcasts, visit desenojournal.com. This podcast was made for and supported by Maison Eobje. It was produced by Evie Hall and edited by Lara Chapman. Our music is by Zapsplat. <laughs>